Hey, and welcome to Real Living My Youth. My name is Noel Fogelman. My guest this week is singer-songwriter Darden Smith. Now, Darden is out with a new multimedia project called Western Skies. It consists of an album, a book about photography, song lyrics, and essays. The album is fantastic. It features probably one of my favorite songs of his since I first discovered him 30 years ago called Miles Between. It's his latest single. We talk about all the other amazing projects he's done. He's worked with frontline workers, inner city youth, and soldiers. He collaborates with them to get their ideas and experiences out in song for people who aren't familiar with writing songs. We also talk about his collaboration with Boo Hoordine, who we had on the show. They released an album, late 80s, called Evidence. It is fantastic. Talk about how that collaboration came about. We also talk about how I first discovered Darden with his Little Victories album and the song Loving Arms. Very insightful guy, very nice guy, and I hope you enjoy my conversation with him. So Darden, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah. So kind of like before we kind of look back a little bit, we we'll to talk about Western Skies, which I absolutely love. Um, the whole multimedia project. I haven't got a chance to uh, see the book yet. I really want to, but you know, I've listened to the CD a lot. And was this project basically? Oh, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> nice. A shameless plug. <laughs> I to get that. Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> was this project like born directly out of the pandemic? Yeah, in in a way that the the project was uh, uh, it wasn't a, a pandemic project, but it, it happened during that time because I was doing these drives between Austin and Arizona to do work for songwriting with soldiers. I was work, still working with them at that time. I'm no longer doing that, but um, uh, and and those that's a long drive between Austin and Arizona. <laughs> it's like a two day drive. Yeah. And so I would break the drive up, and I would drive from Austin to Marfa. Texas and from Marfa to Southern Arizona and back. Along these drives, I began to take, uh, I was writing things, uh, I was writing songs, and I was also writing, just, just like writing in a notebook, you know, and um, and began to take photos with a Polaroid camera that I found in my garage. It's like the Polaroid was in that box that I've moved from house to house to house, right. you know. I haven't, I hadn't seen the, I hadn't seen the Polaroid in about 20 years. But that those three things together became Western skies, those three different sort of silos of work, Polaroids, essays, songs. And, but during that time, that shutdown, where the songs came from was that I just made this, I, I needed a schedule, a work schedule, because it was so weird. Right. And so I just began to go up to my studio every day at 9 a.m. in the morning. I was in my studio at nine o'clock every day. And just started writing songs, I was drawing, I was painting a lot, writing, play, just playing playing piano, just a lot. And uh, the songs began to shape around that stuff. Some were written before, a couple of songs on the record, Western Skies and um, Los Angeles. Those were started like maybe 12, 15 years ago. And okay. I found them during that time, I found them in my piano bench, right. <laughs> you know, but, but they were totally different, but the, yeah. they were started back then. And um, 
So that's what that's what happened. And then on this drive, the, on one of these drives back and forth, uh, I realized that I was driving right past this amazing recording studio called Sonic Ranch. It's out in Tornillo, Texas, which right. is just outside El Paso. So I'm. I went in there for three days and just did demos and I recorded like 25 songs. And in the middle of that, uh, in, the, in the middle of that, that session, sort of the vision of, of what Western Skies was uh, came about in there. So, yeah, it really happened yeah. during that time. That the album was recorded uh, during that time. And, of course, it's, it was really difficult to make a record during that time because you couldn't yeah, get up. Sure band in a studio so right. it was it was done in a very um it was done in a very methodical way yeah. which was really a joy uh to be able to pull it off you know? right so i would imagine the next record you'd probably go back to the traditional way of recording not what you did uh, during the yeah, pandemic, right? I, I love yeah i love being in a studio with a band yeah you know it's, it's uh fun it's way more economical yeah. <laughs> right. As far as just time, everybody's yeah. time, and it's it's also beautiful to have everybody in the room because things happen when you're in the room with somebody. Right. Uh, this was we were very focused. Uh, produced the record with Michael Ramos, who lives here in Austin, as well as Stuart Lehrman, who lives in New York City, actually. Okay. And so Stuart and Stuart mixed the record, as well as co-producing. But we were very focused on instrumentation. Like let's keep you know, our thing was let's keep it super focused on these instruments and we laid them out ahead of time and these players so that it because when you're doing a, a record that's where you're kind of recording one instrument and going to another instrument it's very easy just to keep going because technologically you can right so we put some pretty firm guidelines around it like guardrails I called them. Um, to keep us from going off into that. And we had, a, you know, like it's the same, same players on every song. And uh, so that was, um, that, that helped a lot. I mean, it's amazing. Like you, there's never a good time for or a pandemic, but just the technology we have now, we're able to get through the pandemic a little bit easier. And the fact that you're able to record, you know, now with technology that we have is, yeah. is amazing because maybe 10 years 20, ago, 20 years 15, ago, we wouldn't have been able to, right. yeah, 20 years ago, we wouldn't have been able to, 20 years ago, we wouldn't have been able to get groceries, you know, it's like, like, exactly. like nothing. Think yeah. about what the, it would have, would have happened to the, the economy, you know, it's like yeah. everything would have just crumbled. Um, it was bad as it was, right. But the technology did make it, uh, did make it uh, feasible to do these kinds of things. I mean, it's interesting, Western Skies, during that whole time, I took the sort of sh the period of shutdown and time, I kind of, I kind of made a concerted effort to go the other way, away from technology, okay. which was great because the songs were written on, you know, acoustic guitar, acoustic piano, yeah. the word, the lyrics and the essays were first written down, you know, in a notebook with a okay. pen and paper. All right. And also, you know, using this this Polaroid camera to get the images that were in the book, you know, um, it was just really, it was really, it was great. It helped me slow down. It really had. And so Western Skies is a, a lot of it is about slowing down. And a lot of it is about not not slowing down in a in a sort of a life way, but slowing down in a time way. Right. And uh, of course, you know, mortality was right in my, right in everyone's face. But my faith, I'm getting older, you know, and my, my mother was very ill at the time. She wound up passing away 
in 2020 and or 21 and it's just all of these things were kind of confronting me at the same time and a lot of western skies from that as well as looking at making a concerted effort in my daily life to to make sure that i was um, paying attention to things i was grateful for so like the song running out of time it's just about being grateful for this amazing yeah. partner that I have, you know, and, and, right. and, and uh, so that's where it all, but it was definitely influenced by the time. Right. And probably like my favorite song on the album and it's right up there, probably with loving arms is miles between. I absolutely love mm-hmm. that song and uh, the first single off, off the album. Um, what's the background behind that one? Wishing that the world was flat Walk out to the edge, let that be that Fly through the sunshine looking for rain Why is everybody thinking I'm insane? Lately every time that I open my mouth Somebody sells something stupid and a fight breaks out Somebody's gonna fall now, who's it gonna be? Lately everybody keeps looking at me Silence in the middle of the night is deafening 
flag I wanna spin off of the edge Never come back Float to the bottom of the deep blue sea Yeah, so I wrote that song with Jack Ingram, who's a songwriter, lives in East Texas songwriter, and, and we're really good friends. Actually, I spoke to him this morning. <laughs> but um, so it was. It came about because we had a we just had we had a writing appointment, and before the writing appointment, I kind of went, okay, what's going on in Jack's life? What do I know about him? What what would he kind of dig writing? And I literally just sat down at the piano and started playing the chords. Okay. And this idea of, you know, and this was this was uh, written before the pandemic, so we were able to get together. Um, and then just thinking about like the West and the miles between the miles between wasn't I originally wasn't thinking about desert so much, but I was I was thinking about the miles between two people, two people that can live in the same house. So that's where it came from. And I had the first verse written and the chorus. And then Jack came over and we um, we put it together thinking about that, but just, you know, it's like that, that's really where it came from. So it's this combination of both my life and Jack Ingram's life put together. Yeah. Now has it, like your songwriting process changed from like your very first album, you know, all those years ago to Western oh. Skies? It hasn't, it hasn't. Uh, the, the work I do, you know, I do a whole lot of work uh, with uh, writing songs, for people with people that don't write songs so collaborating right. with people that don't write songs veterans I, I could write, during the pandemic i started okay. uh working with frontline healthcare workers uh to help tell these stories and that is something that's been going on for the last 20 years of my life and what that has done it's changed me first off uh the speed at which i can write i write songs can is uh just like it used to take me weeks to write a song now i can now i generally write them in a couple hours <laughs> you know those songs you know uh, but I'm so I'm not afraid of writing. I used to be afraid of it, kind of in a way, like I was like really yeah. precious, and now I just I just I like cranking them out. Uh, so that is different. I'm I'm much more of a collaborator. I love collaborating with other songwriters. I love it. It's just the best. Uh, and that when and when I first started out, I came from the school of really kind of a folk kind of approach to uh, right. singer songwriter texas singer songwriter folk where you wrote on your own that was the deal yeah and so and and originally my, my music was in the very beginning it was very country folk texas country folk that's where i came from it's really all i knew how to play i wasn't really a, a musician who knew like a lot of uh, how to play other music i just didn't know yeah. how because I, I just didn't study that i wasn't schooled in it yeah. you know and 
So that is over the years that has changed. You know, I'm more adept at writing on the piano and things like that. And so things have changed and how I write a song have changed radically. Okay. At the same time, uh, there's, you know, I mean, we are who we are as people and writers. Right. And so in many ways, I can point to a couple of songs on this record that are really very similar to the things that I wrote when I was 20. It's the same, you know, it's the same yeah. guy writing yeah. a song. I can, you can dress it up, but it's still me. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember how old you were when you like wrote a song knowing that this might be what you wanted to do for your life? Hmm. Absolutely. I remember the, the day I remember it. Um, so I started writing when I was 10. Okay. And so I, and I wrote a couple of songs a year kind of thing. And then my family moved into Houston when I was, I grew up on a farm in Texas. And then my family moved into North the suburbs of Houston when I was about 13, I guess. And then I, I kept writing. So I was such a weirdo and, and songwriting saved my life really. Uh, and, I mean, I mean, I'm not joking about that. It's like literally, it was the outlet that saved me from the uh, saved my life. And uh, but when I was 16, I wrote a song that it felt like it came from somewhere else. It landed on me, and it was this. It was the, the song itself was better than my abilities at the time. And I remember feeling like, holy cow, this is like, this is really like wow, it's pretty good. Yeah. And, and uh, it's almost like I didn't write it. You know, right. it's like it just kind of came to me whole. And, and I remember pl I had a, a plan it for my girlfriend at the time. I played it for her. And then I remember the next day, uh, and I made it probably made a cassette or something of it and gave it to her. And I remember the next day standing at my, by my locker at school. And, and she said, don't play that song for anybody it's going to scare them and they're not ready for you. And I was like, awesome. This is good. This is good. <laughs> and, 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 and like I, that, that relationship of course didn't work, but I went, this of course. is, if I can scare her with a song, yeah. that's good. That's right. a good thing. And uh, that's when that's right around the same time that I, I was beginning to realize I wanted to be a songwriter. I wanted it to be my yeah. job. It was like 16. It was when I really kind of sussed out like yeah. and that happened. My dad, I, I didn't even know that you yeah. could make a living as a musician before then. Right. But I was watching TV with my dad one night and we were watching Austin City Limits. I was grounded because mm -hmm. I'd gotten in trouble. And uh, <laughs> so it's like I was I was a I was a real hellion when I was a kid. Yeah. And uh, so uh we were watching TV and my dad said, do you know, you see that guy in the middle we were watching Guy Clark on Austin okay. City Limits. And he goes, that, that, he goes, that guy in the middle, I bet he's getting paid. And I was like, what do you mean? And he said, yeah, because look at all that gear. There's yeah. lots of gear. I said, somebody's paying for all that gear. And look at all those people. Someone's paying them. And I bet it's the guy in the middle. And it was like, it's like, I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh my God, you can get paid? <laughs> You get, I was like, okay, that's it. I'm done. That's like, that's, yeah. that's me. I, I'm that, I want to be that. I want to be a, a songwriter. At that point, I just wanted to be a songwriter. Yeah. I didn't really think that much about performing or making albums. It was just like, yeah. I just want to write songs. Yeah. I had no idea. I know a single professional musician until I was 19. Okay. So I didn't know how it worked. I just knew what I wanted to do.
and back to your girlfriend for a sec. I mean, writing a song, you know, eliciting emotion either either way, you know, positive or negative is a great response. So rather than be indifferent, you elicit a response from her, which which is pretty good. That's that's what you're trying to do in songs. Yeah. Is you're trying right. to wake you're trying to wake yourself up, but then you're trying to you want to wake other people up too. Yeah. And 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 you know when you're growing up as a kid, people have an idea about what you're supposed to be. Yeah. And yeah. when you when you're and this is like almost every musician, songwriter, artist out there, they um, they scare people. Right. You know they scare them and. Uh, that's the that's the deal, and you're going to be different, and that yeah. difference is you got to follow your difference, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, one song that like, that hit me, which I'm going to, I think my my son is graduating, my oldest son is graduating high school in June. Oh, congratulations! Thanks. Yeah, and so yeah, it, gets, it gets really expensive after this point. By the way, trust me, we know. Yeah, it gets <laughs> we're, super we're, expensive. We're, we're about to pay for it right now. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because see, what you want, what you want in a kid is a slacker economically right. economically yeah. you want yeah you want to go to college no nah, i'm good go awesome yeah, great perfect yeah <laughs> go, either oh, you're on your own <laughs> yeah either a brilliant or a slacker this way you get a full exactly. ride or not going. Yeah, exactly so i, I saw two more so hopefully you know they'll be on either end uh, yeah, right. yeah but i'm gonna use i gotta incorporate it somehow your song against the grain which i absolutely love and it's like right. it, it fits my son perfectly They mistake your individuality for a flaw in your personality And I think they've lost their sanity Hey, 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 hey You, you're a beautiful reflection of the light Shines in your direction There's nothing about you That isn't perfect in every way Hey, 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 hey So just go, go Just go against the grain You don't have to be the same Whoa! 
You know, against the grain that 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 was written with Jay Clementi and his son Christian Clementi. Uh, okay. They're writers in Nashville, and Christian came up with the idea, and he was 16 at the okay. time, and he's a songwriter. But it was like a written, and Jay and I kind of finished the song, and but it was written like to a friend of Christian's who was struggling, you know. Okay. And what Christian was trying to tell him was, "You're okay. You're okay. You're different." But that's right. not wrong. It's just yeah. different. It's cool. Right. And in a way, I it took me a while. Like I assumed, like when we wrote that song, I was like, "Oh, Christian, Christian will wind up singing it because he has his own band." And, okay. And but I got it home, and after like a week of playing it at my house, I realized that that song. Was, I wrote that song to me, you know, to to me when I was sixteen. Right. Going, yeah, you're different. Yeah, you're weird. Yeah, you're you don't fit in with you know normal quote unquote normal sort of circles, and that's your superpower, man. That's like yeah. that's what that's what makes you different. And right. instead of running away from that, embrace it. And it takes guts. It just takes guts. It takes yeah. uh, you have to learn to say uh, you learn have to learn to not listen to the people who tell you no. And when you're different. Uh, then the people around you, you hear a lot of no, and that's the that's the dream killer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's the dream killer, man. And so you have to you have to you have to go for it. That that's why I love that song. Yeah, I love, I love yeah. singing it. Yeah. yeah, he beats to his own drum, but I just you know just think it like fits him perfectly because you know he's you know in you know circles and stuff like that, but he is definitely not pressured by any you know peer pressure or anything like that he just you know does what he wants you know within yeah. reason you know for us of course yeah. but yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is yeah, you know, it, it, yeah yeah now have you had anybody like come to you like as a result of your song saying you know this helped me through a difficult time it's you know the songs are so powerful last night last night okay. oh wow last night yeah that's the beautiful thing about songs, you know, it's, it's, um, I mean, what we love in song, what people love in songs, that's not my song, my song, what everyone yeah. loves in songs. Right. And so really the power of song is that it holds so much. It can hold dreams and fear and hope and joy and loss and trauma and, and, uh, you know, love and, and everything, hate, I mean, it can hold it all. It can hold decades of time. It can hold the, the it, you know, for some, you know, like you listen to something like, I don't know, and then there's, it's like everyone has a different thing. And, but when we hear a song we love, 
the ones that for some some songs we identify with and what we identify with is i think we see ourselves in that song and there's something in that song right. that we we can somehow it somehow fills something up in us and i you know, like i remember hearing born to run you know when i was like 17. yeah and i was i was changed changed it was a friday night and the window was down the truck i was in i was riding with a friend of mine and it was late and this it was blaring super loud and i had my head out the window screaming the lyrics it was like i was different after that i just was different you know and i was like whatever is in that song i want that in my life but when people it's really gratifying when people hear that in my song, you know, then when my songs uh, help them or move them through a time, because I didn't write that, I didn't write it to help anybody. I wrote it just because it was like, but I think it, I think as a artist and a writer, if you have a craft and you have a, a way of, of pursuing that craft and you, you know, you get better at it, whatever, and then things come up and you write songs, I think you have an obligation to write them. I think you have an obligation because if it means something to uh, me, I've just seen this in my life. If it means something to me, more than likely, it's going to mean something to somebody else. I don't know who that person is going to be, and I have no control over that happening. All that I have control over is do I write the song and do I make it as good as possible? And within that, I think then it's possible to reach out and connect with people, and you have no control over that. Now, once the song is out there, do you still consider it to be your song? Because, I mean, some some people might interpret one of your songs the way that it wasn't really intended to be that way. But do you would you uh, correct them and say, just say, or you just say, no. thanks, you, I appreciate it. Yeah. No, I would never correct them because it's yeah. not up to me. It's right. I mean, I wrote the song. It's my song. Yeah. Right. But but it's their it's their dream. You know, it's like yeah. I think that's the beautiful thing about um if, when we hear a song that, you know, we make a movie in our mind, you know, their movie has nothing to do with my movie. Right. If I make a video of that song and they see that it's going to influence their, their movie. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? So, but if they don't, it's like they create that, well, that's all about them. That has to do with their life. That's beautiful, man. That's the best. That's the best. Yeah. You, you mentioned like, yeah you know the songwriting for soldiers um how did that like program like come about for you yeah well in uh like right around the uh in 2000 i started exploring different ways to use songs in the world and i began to write i've been to i started a creativity program that i used to do in schools actually i used to go around to schools and i started yeah and talking to kids about seeing themselves as an artist no matter what they're into and a part of that pro it was called the be an artist program and a part of that program was i would do this collaborative songwriting exercise with a group of kids so it'd be like 30 kids you know and we'd write this song it was like chaos and it was beautiful it was so anti-music business and so incredibly rock and roll at the same time it's like you got to go for it you got a room full of fifth graders you better bring it man or they're gonna put their head down their desk and go to sleep yeah (laughs) and uh, exactly so that that started and i did that for like about three years along with doing gigs and making records it was this whole other thing that i did which i didn't really tell people about it was just this thing and then 
That led to working at a place called, doing some work at a place called the Covenant House, which okay. is uh, based in New York City, but there's branches all over. I did a lot of work in Newark with okay. homeless teenagers, helping these homeless teenagers uh, write their songs and talk about creativity. And with that, in that, I discovered uh, the, the idea of trauma transference, where when I would write a song with these teenagers, and they were, uh, some of them, it was amazing, some of them had a reading level of like third or fourth grade, fifth grade, some of them, not all of them, some of them, but they were incredible poets because they grew up on hip hop. Right. And so they were using their phones to write the most amazing lyrics. And so we would incorporate that stuff in these songs. It was so fun. It was amazing. It was like, and I was really, but I was, and also I was really different than them. And the difference, our difference was the power. Like I wasn't, I'm not a urban, you know, kid who almost like I'm, a, you know, the Anglo guy from Texas. Right. And that became the, the the power because we weren't trying to compete. We were different, you know. So, but there's we could find the middle ground. And I, and I just uh, at the end of a songwriting session, they would feel amazing, and I would feel like I'd been hit by a truck because their trauma had literally lifted off of them and landed on right. them. You know. So then I had to process that. Did that for a while, and then uh, I met some soldiers, and I'm not a veteran. I don't have any veteran real experience in my family, and I just was like, and I'd had all this experience. Like I'd, I'd start doing conflict resolution using songwriting with gangs, largely through Covenant House, right. but uh, Israeli-Palestinian issues. Uh, I mean, all kinds of stuff, and and then I met these soldiers, and I was like, wow. And I started talking to them about their experience, and I'm like, what would it be like? to bring civilian songwriters together with veterans and do this collaborative songwriting thing, what would happen? That was, it was just a curiosity thing because no one, people had written songs about veterans, about war, about conflict. People had written songs about them and they'd written them for them, sort of to honor. I wasn't aware of anybody at the time, there may have been something going on that I don't know about, of anyone actually doing collaboration where it's like you're all sitting in the same room and it basically it was like this like experiment to see what would happen and it i started it with a friend of mine uh mary judd and it became super successful and really amazing and changed my life changed the life of a lot of veterans uh, but yeah. also changed the life of a lot of civilians because we consciously brought civilians and military uh veterans and active duty and family together and it was it was unbelievable. Like I, I had breakfast yesterday morning with Mary Gaucher, who um, you know she did a whole record called Rifles and Rosary Beads uh, of songs that she wrote with songwriting with soldiers. And we were talking about how though neither one of us are really in, involved with that program anymore. Um, it changed how much it changed our lives and uh, changed our way to rewrite songs. It changed how we view what songs are for in the world and now i out of that kind of work i look at songwriting really as a service gig it's a service job and it's up to me to use songs in the world not just write songs use the songs is there a group i mean you said you worked with like, you know frontline workers from the pandemic you know soldiers and like you know homeless teens is there a group that it's on your list that you want to work with that you haven't yet I, I I don't have like a target list. It's more like I keep myself open right. to to possibilities and opportunities because it's it's not only it's a creative thing, 
it's a uh, service thing, but it's also, you know, there's, it's also, uh, you know, it's an economic thing. It's a way it's, it's, I, I also, I get paid when I do that work too. So it's, right. it's a beautiful thing that also uh, is this way to sustain a career, sustain a life, you know, my mm -hmm. life and other artists and musicians, you know, it's endless. There's, there's no shortage. The thing that I found in that work, which was, it's, it seems so silly to say this, but, you know, I thought that service was something you got and service is actually something you give. Right. And a service, it's a verb. <laughs> it's not, a, you know, it's yeah. like, it's an action thing. Right. And, and when, when that opened me, you know, I was a self really kind of self-focused artist, you know, it was like, it was yeah. all about, it was all about me, you know? And then I began to see like, oh my God, there's, there's no shortage of need in the world. There is no shortage. I mean, no. the, the world, there's, there's like, you just pick a, you don't have to, you walk out your door and look to the left and look to the right, and you're going to see someone who needs some help. And I think it's incumbent upon us to use our skills. And mine happens to be songwriting. Everybody's got a skill. Use your skill to address the need that you see. And so if I see a need and I can address it, awesome. I mean, I've worked with policemen, you know, police. I've worked with, um, uh, did a uh, wrote yesterday with frontline healthcare workers. I've worked with individuals. I've worked with, um, you know, just uh, groups, companies, all kinds of stuff. It's like wherever the need is, uh, is what I think the focus for me now is. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Sense? Yeah, it totally does. Yeah. yeah. Have you like run into anyone you've worked with in the past, like maybe pursued this as a career because of you? I'm sorry, uh, a musician or songwriter or someone or, else? The songwriter that you've worked with in one of these programs that wasn't necessarily a, you know, a songwriter, but you helped them, you know, kind of express themselves. Yeah, yeah, there is a friend of mine named Jamie Trent who okay. uh, is, lives in, uh, uh, he lives in Virginia, um, but he, uh, yeah, he, he was, he got involved with songwriting with soldiers and he kind of became a songwriter and okay. he's had songs cut in Nashville and it's pretty great. He wrote- right. He co-wrote uh, a, a great song on Mary on Mary's record. Uh, uh, the one uh, God, I can't think of the name right now, but one of the songs on on Rifles and Rosary Beads was co-written with Jamie Trent, and okay. so he's like he's a really he's a good songwriter. You know, and he, like yeah, he's had more cuts. He's actually had more cuts than I've had. You know, well, it's crazy. Uh -huh. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. You, you take some like pride, you know, in that knowing like you kind of helped someone like pursue that dream that then it started. Um, no, it's not really a pride thing. It's I know that uh, something that I something it was an, you know, an idea that I had. It's more like uh, I don't take pride in that. It's just cool. You know, yeah. it's not like something I hang my hat on. No, I take more. I, I, I am. I definitely acknowledge the fact that something that was an idea that I had along with the help of many people, like I didn't do that on my own. I had right. help, man, but it changed lives. And it's not about people making a living. It's more about people living better lives because I know from working with veterans uh, and, and uh, all other people, it's like, we look around the world, uh, a lot of people that look like they're doing really good. Some of them are barely hanging on. 
and I've met those people and I've met people who've done things in their lives that are completely on the, on the other side of the ethical uh, boundary from the way I was raised. Right. And what I believe in, and I've, I've met, I've worked with them, I've collaborated okay. with people who've done things that I've, you know, all your life you're told not to do. Well, they've done them, about, you know, so, and some of them dug it, you know. And but what I've learned is that some of those people are barely hanging on. And so the fact that an idea that I had helped them hang on, that I'm very proud of, and I'm very acknowledging the fact that it's changed lives. That's to me, that's the coolest thing. You know? Does that make sense? That makes sense. It does. Yeah, it does. And you mentioned earlier about, you know, collaborating with other songwriters. Um, I had Boo Purdine on last year in the midst of oh, I'm the sorry pandemic. To hear that. I'm sorry, I'm yeah. sorry to hear that. Yeah. What a bummer. That, what a bummer that must have been. Yeah, yeah. I, I was kind of. He's not very good. Recovery. He's not very good, really. He's not very no, good. He's, yeah. yeah. Like you're here. He's here. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and yeah. it's cool. It's cool. Yeah. He knows that. We're, I, yeah. we're buddies. But I mean, right. I, I, I told him that, too. But, you know, he. Uh, he said, you know, F off and F art Darden, but you know, it was all right. Yeah. But no. yeah, he's just saying, he thinks the same thing about me, which is kind of hurtful, but uh, yeah, he was on BBC two yesterday. He, he did a okay. great, he was on, yeah, he was on a great, he had a great show. He's amazing. Boo yeah. is one of the most fluid right. songwriter musicians I've ever been around. He's completely untrained and has taught himself. He's just an incredible songwriter. Right. He's had, hundreds i think i think he's up to like eight or nine hundred songs recorded by other people yeah it's ridiculous and yeah and he um he is i mean we still collaborate together right he changed how i look at music he mm -hmm. changed everything about how i look at music and how i think about songs he changed how i write songs everything i mean it's and i'm so blessed that it's over 30 years later i think we met in 88 so we're looking at 34 years of wow. friendship yeah and we're still really i mean i've got to talk to him tomorrow you know right how yeah, yeah. how did that come did, did you know about him or like even like his because he i think he left the I left the bible i think at that point so like what, what, what well was, he was still in the bible he, he was, was still, still in the bible when we met yeah which okay. i i always thought that was a really arrogant name for a band, name but a band. Anyway, <laughs> yeah no, i like no wonder it backfired but right. um <laughs> <laughs> but uh no we were introduced by his um his a r guy publisher okay who was a man named nigel grange who lived in london and uh, he had insign records and insign had new boo was on that label but also it was like sinead o'connor world party right uh, water boys boomtown right. rats that thing yeah so it was very prestigious anyway yeah. nigel I met Nigel in Austin. He was here in town looking for looking for talent, you know, okay. looking for people. And he had bought my record, my first major label record. <laughs> he bought it in a used bin two days after it came out in London, which was oh, wow. pretty hurtful. That, that's like right. hurtful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but and so he knew me and he right. liked my record and he and he called me after we met, he called me a couple of days later and he said, Hey, I'd like to you know if you, would you come over and write with an artist on my, yeah. on my yeah. label, uh, Boo Huridine. And I had read, I'd read this like paragraph in spin magazine okay. about the Bible. They had gotten, they were on a, a, a press tour around the U S and they'd gotten this article. That's all I knew about Boo Huridine. Right. And I said tonight, but I realized this guy was about to fly me in London and to write songs. And I yeah. was like, I love Boo Huridine. 
He's amazing. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I've always wanted to write songs with yeah. him. And he's like, fantastic. And so they flew us yeah. over there. And my wife at the time flew us over there, put us up in this great hotel in Notting Hill and and uh, just treated me like royalty. And Boo and I, Boo was very shy. In, in those days, he was extremely shy. Yeah. And um, we met over dinner and it was just massively awkward because he didn't say anything. And we got together the next day at this house that was neither one of us knew. It was this, this guy's studio and a kitchen yeah. and everything. And, and we sat in the kitchen and I had this song, Reminds Me a Little of You, that I'd started, but I hadn't finished right. it. And I said, I've got an idea. And I played him that. And the song was written in like 45 minutes. And huh. neither one of us had ever written a song with anyone before. And we kind of was like, oh, that was easy. And then we went and got lunch, came back, and we wrote a song called Under the Darkest Moon, right. which Boo had started. And we kind of looked at each other. We wrote two songs in one day. We'd never, I'd never had an experience like that. And they were so radically different than any song I had ever written before. And it blended, the two of us working together blended my sort of Texas singer songwriter thing with his understanding, deep understanding of English pop music and soul, American soul and R&B. And that's the, the blend of that. He kind of, I loved the things that he would do with songs and he would, he loved the things that I was doing with, with sort of my natural way of writing. Uh, and I loved his natural way of writing and it was just easy. It was so, and we wrote eight songs together in one week. We wrote like four, you know, two songs a day, four days. And on the fifth day we did some demos and Nigel came over to hear the demos at the end of the day and offered us a record deal. It was ridiculous. It was like such a like fluke. Yeah. So yeah. we got a record deal. I had a record deal already on Columbia. So then I had a record deal on Chrysalis and Columbia at the same okay. time. We booked the recording studio in Austin three months out. We didn't even have the record written. Wow. And so Boo came, it was ridiculous. Like who does that? Yeah. And uh, Boo came in the week before and we, we had a week to write half an album. Wow. So we got a room in a hotel room got a room in a hotel, the Driscoll Hotel. And every day we'd show up and we'd write two songs every day. We just cranked out these songs. Yeah. And then the next day after we did that, we started rehearsals for the album. The guy whose house we wrote in in London, Martin Lascelles, he wound up producing the record. He'd never produced. He was a sort of a soul, R&B, soul right. producer. Uh, he produced the record. And uh, we, you know, kind of banged this record out in in, in Austin. Uh, the label came to the day after we finished uh, recording the record. We did a gig. The label Chrysalis flew in to see us play. We'd never performed together, and we're performing before the record company president. And we wow. right before the gig, Boo goes, "We've never practiced." <laughs> like it was, it was a, it was like chaos, right. and it, there was something because it was. It was just, I think it was just magical. And that's the beauty of Nigel Grange, the guy that introduced us. He was just responsible for magic. He was a magician, really. And, and, okay. um, and like most magicians, sometimes it didn't work. Yeah. But yeah. every now and then he just, he changed my life. That guy, Nigel, changed my life. And, and he was a massive influence on me. We became very, very good friends. My first book, uh, I wrote a book called The Habit of Noticing, couple of years ago and I dedicated it to Nigel because he he showed me what it was like to be on fire 
like to really be on fire as a person. And uh, learned, Nigel loved music. But anyway, he, he changed Boo and Mine's life right then. Yeah, I, I, that album is fantastic. I, I have a copy of it at home. And yeah. Yeah, it's, it's great. Um, you, you mentioned he changed, like, Boo, that it's changed the way you think, approach songs, and, like, songwriting. Totally. How, so, like, how, how was that? Um, well, uh, first off, uh, Melody. Boo was the first time, you know, once again, I came from this country folk thing as a right. player and as a writer. However, at the time I was listening, you know, I, I, you know, I was growing up, I was really into like songwriters, you know, and then when I went to college, uh, I, I started listening to things like The Pretenders and Elvis Costello and Nick Lowe, Rockpile. I could be that. I could play that way and I could write those melodies. And it completely jacked me up as far as a record company con was concerned. <laughs> because they were like, what right. happened to our, our little yeah. songwriter? But it, that, you know, so Little Victories yeah. was the result of, and it started with Trouble No More, but Little, little Victories, those songs uh, were the result of Boo's influence on me as far as opening up to really who I was as a writer and what I really wanted to do. So I, right. my record deal after that, after Boo and I put our record out, Evidence, uh, I got my record deal transferred from Nashville, where I was signed originally, yeah. transferred over to New York so I could okay. be me, you know? Right. And, and, um, and, you know, a lot of songs on Little Victories were written in London. Like a lot of them were written with Boo. Boo sings on the record, um, and of course, all this happened you know thirty years ago or something like that. But um, uh, but that opening up to melody and and different melodies and different rhythms, and also the key, probably one of the key things Boo uh, showed me was until that time I'd written, you know, once again in the real folk tradition of specificity. So being very, very concrete with my words and right. my images that I used in songs and sort of like laying out the story completely in a song. Yeah. That's just how I knew how to write songs. Ballad, more ballad type songs. And Boo opened me up to the idea of giving suggestions in songs, but not laying it all out, not painting the whole picture. Okay. And, and then the, what we call a bridge the English call the middle eight, which is that section in the song, which is really weird. It's at the end of the song. It's really, it's always really strange. He, oh, he probably, he, I think he writes some of the best bridges I've ever, the middle eight uh, of anyone I've ever experienced. He's right. they're amazing. And they go, they go somewhere different melodically and lyrically, and they're just gorgeous. He opened me up to that. And so every time I write, or even today, yeah. 30 years later, I still, uh, I'm trying to keep up with Boo Hewardine's bridges because they're great. They're amazing. Great. So that yeah. that really that really opened that that's how he influenced me. And um uh and you know you know yeah. he's not very nice though. That's the only thing. He's he's kind yeah. of a jerk and uh yeah. but yeah. Big time, but he yeah. can't sing very well. Yeah. No. But other than that, but other than that great he's, guy. He's, really good. He's okay. Yeah. Yeah, he's great. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it was completely funny that i because i discovered you before i discovered like the bible you know the band not the actual right. book and um right and then i realized afterwards that you guys 
you know, collaborated together. So I, I had to get that, you know, I had to get evidence and, you know, I did, which was evidence of CD. And then it was, it was, it was fantastic. But I, I discovered you, you know, through Little Victories and every time I'd hear Loving Arms come on, I would immediately try to, this was obviously before, you know, cell phones and everything like that. Which is, yeah, right. You know, I had my little tape deck to record the song. So I would get, each time I'd get oh, a little wow. more. So I would have half the song and then a quarter of the song. So finally, I'm just, you know what? I, I'm just going to let the, the cassette play, you know, I'll hit record. And eventually, yeah. I'm lucky, I would get the whole song, which I did. And, you know, I was in college. I didn't have time to go to record so at great, that point. Though. That's so great yeah. that you were using the cassette deck to record. Heart will be running 
You know, I'm, yeah. I the guy that produced that record uh, is Richard Goderer. Okay. You know, so Richard Richard wrote my boyfriend's back. He wrote. Okay. He wrote and produced. He produced Hang On Sloopy. Oh wow. He, uh, he wrote I Want Candy. Okay. He produced. He produced Blondie, uh, Joan Armatrading, Marshall Crenshaw's first record. Oh wow. Um, he 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 started Sire Records. He produced the uh, Go Go's first two okay. Go Go's albums. Wow. And he 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 changed me. And it's funny because I'm having a conversation with Richard tomorrow. I'm talking to him, but I, uh, he started the Orchard, which is a you know a distribution company. But he's brilliant. But he's really old school, you know, and how he makes records. They're very very old school. He came from. He remembers going to four track. Wow. You know, and he was a Brill Building songwriter. Yeah. And uh, or that era, and um, it's amazing. You know, amazing guy, man, and yeah. and. Uh, he he i met him shortly after i met boo and it was these this coming together of these i was young and it was coming yeah. together i was just really lucky that i got to work with some really really talented people that um i've kept going it's really great yeah now did columbia did they want like kind of a little victory as part two for your second album or are they kind of like uh every every label wants work. a part two yeah, yeah. when yeah. you have a, a re- an album that's relatively successful Oh, they want a part two, uh, but it was, I, I did what I could, you know, but there was also yeah. there, you know, every record deal ends, yeah. you, you know, when yeah. no one tells you that when you get signed to a record deal, but every record deal ends right. and it's painful. And when it happens, you go, well, but yeah. it, it usually has nothing to do with you. It has to do with money. Right. And that's what happened uh, with me. They shut the label down that I was a part of as a part of chaos. It was the label was called Chaos, which was inside of Columbia. Uh, do no effect things that had nothing to do with me. They shut the label down, and I, you know, I, I owed them a lot of money. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I had a great time on yeah. Columbia Records. Okay. I still owe Columbia Records a lot of money, right. and I don't regret it. I don't regret it at all. I had a blast yeah. having a major label deal, which to me was a totally positive. Yeah experience i still work with people that i met at columbia i still right. work with i still have friends that i yeah. met then it's a great it's a great thing it was i was it was a magical lucky time right but now it's like you're working like with like independent labels you have to do twice the work for less to pay out right <laughs> um well i never made that much money on columbia records anyway okay but um you know, I had songwriting royalties, but as far as record right. sales, it's like, you know, they figure out how to guarantee you won't make any money. Okay. Uh, but um, yeah, it's harder being, I mean, the whole industry, that industry is almost Change. gone the way, right. the way it was set up then. Uh, it's gone, it's changed, it's different. And yes, it's harder work. I'm, I've been really blessed in that I have, I have a career that's kept going for 35 yeah. years. I've been doing it and I got... I mean, I think what sustains me is I got curious about other things and how to, once again, how to use songs in the world. So I don't, my, the way that I work isn't like most people work. I, I do, I mean, I, the thing, not, not that it's that different, but like most people who are sustaining as independent artists do more than one thing. They produce or record or tour or write, they do, we're doing, you, you gotta hustle. 
And the, the way that I've been able to keep it going, it's great. You know, it's like I do all these no two days are the same. And yeah, it's harder. But, you know, uh, the record business is a totally different industry than it used to be. Right. And that's not bad. It's just different. And that's just life. You know, it's yeah. like uh, and adapting to that. It's actually been good for me. It's been good. Okay. You know? yeah. yeah. You remember where you were the first time you heard one of your songs on the radio? Yeah, I was in Kansas City. Okay. I think, yeah, Kansas City. And it was, um, no, actually, the first time was here okay. uh, in Austin because, and I wasn't even, it wasn't a record. It was a, it was a tape, a reel-to-reel tape I'd taken up to the public radio right. station. And uh, they played my songs. On there. It was amazing. It was incredible. Right. And uh, then the first time I heard a, uh, off of one of my records, uh, it was my major label record, yeah. Uh, was... Uh, yeah, I was in Kansas City, okay. and uh, I was like, "Wow, it was amazing!" Yeah. It still, it still feels great. And I think if you talk yeah. to any any musician, songwriter out there, I don't care how jaded or cynical you are, when yeah. you hear yourself on the radio, there's something about the radio. Right. It's like it feels incredible. I mean, even like you know, I'll be somewhere and I'll hear it like in a Walmart or a, yeah. not, not a Walmart, but like a Target or, yeah. you know, I have heard it in Walmart, but like a <laughs> drugstore or something like that. Loving yeah. Arms will come on or, or right. you know, or Angel Flight will come on or, or some song that I've written. And yeah. it's just like, wow, that's, yeah. and of course you look around to see if, if anybody else is <laughs> right. digging the song and no one yeah. ever is. No, one no. Yeah. no it's, uh, but uh, yeah, it's still, it's that, it's that thrill that it never goes away, man. Yeah. It never goes away. Yeah. Right. I mean, I have a habit. I mean, I'm a terrible singer, but I have a habit of seeing songs when I'm in stores when, when they're playing, like, say, if Loving Arms yeah. comes up in like Walmart or wherever, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll sing it, you know, kind of quietly. But now when you're wearing masks in the stores, it makes it better because you, you can sing it loud. Song. Baby. Exactly. Yeah. No one's going to be in any of the lights, you know. <laughs> yeah. But people, people great, still man. look at you. It's like, you know, it's all you're right. You're a freak. It, yeah, like, exactly. I'm, I can handle yeah. it. It's, it's totally fine. I go against the grain, so to speak, right? <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah, yeah. But I, I really appreciate your time today, Darden. This was oh, great. Thank Good you. luck with thank the Western you. Skies. And a special thanks to Darden for joining me today. Go check out Western Skies and the rest of his music. He's fantastic. You can follow him on Twitter at Darden Smith, and his website is DardenSmith.com. You can also search Facebook, Darden Smith. And if you have a guest suggestion, hit me up on Twitter at TheFirstInAll19, or like the page Living My Youth on Facebook. Go to iTunes, check out all the past episodes we've had. While you're there, please rate and review the show. Don't have iTunes? Not a problem. Shows on SoundCloud, Spotify, Podbean, Amazon Music, basically where we can find a podcast. Our next episode, we're going to be celebrating our fifth anniversary. Time flies we got an amazing guest. We'll see you next week.